0: I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. Today's guest is Germ Lynn, a writer and cellist living in Brooklyn, New York. Vacillating between nonfiction and blackout poetry, they interrogate memory by lacerating the body text, generating new forms through a process of personal healing. Their work has been described as brutal, luxe, reflective, compassionate, and investigates themes of horror, trauma, and ultimately forgiveness. Germ Lin has contributed poetry to the anthology, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry, published by Tripart.
1: All right, so there's so many different things that you do and areas that you work in. Where do you think we should start?
2: Well, I think one thing that I've been really trying to focus on in my creative work is, I might start and stop a lot, but... um, You know, a lot of my work is about just a therapeutic generative practice. When I sort of dive into the blackout poetry, I really don't treat it as a product or, you know, a finished, um, a finished work it's really to get me to a certain state of mind. It's, it's to get me to a place where I'm not thinking about art from a place of judgment or thinking about art from, um, a place of like finality where the work has to be kind of frozen in a certain state. It's to get me thinking about art as, um, as a process And as something that can always be reworked and always be reinterpreted and reorganized as long as it serves me um, and centers my experience. Um, Not sure if that's, you know, how everybody should relate to art, but at least this specific practice helps me and, you know, it serves as a jumping off point for me to create different things in different ways it's really more of a launch pad than anything else.
1: How did you come to developing the blackout poetry in the first place?
2: I think it's a well-worn tactic. I've seen it around a lot. I think it's, um, at this point, I, I can't trace who thought of it. I, I saw it around, you know, on in venues as, you know, like, um, commonplace is like Pinterest, you know, it's something that is, it can be as accessible as scrapbooking, or it can be as, um, you know, sort of esoteric as like the cut up method. Um, so I was really drawn to it for that reason. I had all the materials I needed to start right away. Like I had books on my shelf. I had, markers and pens just lying around and um they really there's always an excuse for me to not write or not create like I don't feel in the mood but this is so unconscious like it is just like putting ink on a page and you're not writing anything you're just dragging something along and it really helped me you know on those days where I felt like I could do nothing to create I was too depressed, as too uninspired. Like it had just such like a physicality to it. And also it felt really good to kind of break the rules a little bit. Like I have to ruin literature in order to, to do this. I have to tear a page out of a book that I care about and create something that's very ephemeral and something I don't really care about. Um, so There's something kind of like perverse there, and that appeals to me. And, you know, there's a lot of, when I look back on them, I always, you know, find ways, again, to reinterpret it. And it just constantly serves as inspiration for poetry and creative work on the days where I can put pen to paper and I can, you know, engage in these like, you know, quote-unquote, like, higher levels of, like, thinking. Um, but, you yeah, know, the act of just kind of unconsciously doing it um, to make myself feel better was very appealing.
1: And how have you chosen which books you tear pages out of?
2: Um, well, I just so happen to have a lot of Victorian literature – um I took a class on it. I dropped out of that class, but you know, so I had all these books that were unread and unused. Um but I sort of knew enough about the period and about them to get into some themes. And I felt like um I was really drawn to the theme of the body. I like, you know, Victorians have all their hangups about um, the body and free expression. And I obviously was working with a lot of hangups about free expression. Um, so I kind of was thinking about books like, um, you know, I had this book about vampires and, you know, vampires, you know, have their their lore rooted in like Victorian literature and, um, although I can't say this is technically Victorian, I'm not sure, but Frankenstein was another like monster book that was real, had a lot of visceral imagery associated with the body. Um, and, you know, literally about like cutting off the body. Um, so I was thinking about these, um, books dealing with perversions and, um, body horror, And with Frankenstein, specifically regeneration, and I was just kind of trying to use the broad themes to follow the form.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it fits pretty perfectly.
2: Again, it was a lot of it was just kind of putting the ink to the paper and coming up with the interpretations later, like letting it sort of sink in and,
1: and become clearer as, as time went along. Yeah. Just going with the process and then understanding what you did kind of in retrospect.
2: Yeah. And to be honest, as you know, as I'm engaging, I I talk about this, like it's a, I talk about this, like it's a therapeutic act and, um, when I'm sort of drawing parallels between this work and the work I do in psychotherapy, I I want to give myself the freedom to sort of re reframe my experiences as I go along and as I gain new insights to myself and as I put new experiences under my belt. Um you know it's a healing process for me to look at a traumatic event, for example, um, in my past and use the insights I have now to basically, you know, redraw it and forgive myself and say, you know what, I was doing a pretty good job at the time, given the circumstances. And I wasn't even trying to do a good job. I was just trying to keep moving. So I think I, a lot of that has come up through this work.
1: Yeah, and I love what you said about it being a great thing to do when you can't feel really feel you have the energy for much else. Because when I uh, recently showed your work in Cali, Colombia, at a class I was teaching, uh, I was talking about using the cut ups in that way. If you're writing, if you're a writer or an artist and you feel stuck, start cutting up your work, cutting up images, cutting up the words. And I showed examples of my work, and then I also showed examples of your work as another technique that they could use.
2: Yeah, I've um, I'm constantly trying to find ways to just be consistent in creation. It, you know, not prolific, um, but at least consistent. Like, I was listening to um, a podcast with um, with a poet, and um, I believe the poet was Nikki Giovanni, and they recommended if anything, write down three words a day, three unrelated, you know, unremarkable words, but just something that, you know, you came up with and you felt and you'd be surprised how often those words come up again. You know, it's, I just use a lot of this work, um, and sort of this, you know, very generative body, this organism that keeps you know, spawning and keeps growing. And, you know, maybe one day we'll have that, you know, masterpiece that people who want a legacy have, but I'm really just enjoying the process at the moment.
1: Have you seen any specific themes come up in your work so far?
2: Yeah, I think I talk a lot about um, regeneration and, um, I don't want to say like infestation cause that sounds scarier than it has to, but I, I've been drawn to the idea of sort of the microcosmos as it relates to microbiology, like little, little organisms, growing bigger and having a real effect. But they're unseen. They're invisible to the naked eye. And I kind of am making a parallel in my mind between something like that, some something in your body like that, and the unconscious. Like, I think that ideas can be like that sometimes. They're unseen, but they're definitely percolating and they're, they're growing, um, and, and multiplying. And so I think using that little metaphor, I, I tried to think about, you know, my body like reasserting itself and, um, and the power in that. And I guess like feeling a sense of control over my body in despite like all these narratives surrounding infestation and, and germs and filth. And, you know, a lot of those narratives talk about being out of control. Something is being foisted upon you. But um, I, I think about, you know, trust and forgiveness Like a lot of those things come up as well when I think about my body in these terms, because my body always seems to stomach it or manage it. Um, And my brain being part of my body, I want to trust that it has that power as well.
1: Now, does this invisible idea have anything to do with invisible candy? (laughs)
2: Um, Well, invisible candy was two words that, came up in a dream and um, I, you know, I have a habit of whenever I wake up, um, if I can remember a dream, I try to record something about it or I try to write it down immediately. Otherwise I'm going to forget. And so I was able to like write these two words down before, you know, I went back to sleep and had new dreams and ultimately forgot. Um, So, I'm still like, you know, thinking on invisible candy and what that means um, because music is such a big part of it, um, you know, and there's so many associations with things like ear candy or earworm or um, when people talk about music. uh, I might have been just making a quick Quick jump to to music being this like invisible candy that we get to enjoy. We we don't actually see it uh, or touch it, but it is as pleasurable as and as ephemeral too as you know, candy or, or sweets or
1: junk. Um, and it grows too into something bigger.
2: Oh yeah, it can always get bigger. Mm-hmm. And the and also like the throngs of people who. Um, who surround it and who give it its power? Like those those throngs, um, they have their own like organism type quality. Or at least I've always felt like that when I'm in you know, in crowds, listening to music and enjoying music together. It definitely feels like you know a whole organism as opposed to just individuals enjoying it.
1: Do you want to talk about your development as a musician from cellist on? Um, Yeah, a
2: little bit. I I can. Um, So I I think, again, like the body comes up and wanting to trust in my body and, um, you know, reassert myself uh, with my body. I was very attracted to a cellist named Jacqueline Dupre who was a a revolutionary performer in that when she was playing, she wasn't, you know, just playing the notes on the page. She was throwing her whole body into the performance. And at the time, you know, it was seen as something very revolutionary for a classical cellist to basically not be stoic, but to be a little,
1: you know, free. And, and sexual, yeah. it sounds like.
2: Uh, I mean, yeah. Because I mean, you can say because she also, unfortunately, um, was painted in later years. Like, um, her legacy was a little... Tainted by talk of how she was, you know, a hysterical woman, again, like, maybe because she was so um, powerful in her body. Um, but, you know, at the height of her career, her body broke down. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, was diagnosed with MS, mm-hmm. and she couldn't play cello anymore. And so... I was attracted to the story because, you know, it seems, you know, like the ultimate tragedy. Um, But she went on to use her voice, again, an an extension of your body, uh, to teach. And she still was able to convey that same musicality and that same power and all the emotion that made her performances so powerful she was able to convey that with her voice like her body was always her medium it wasn't necessarily music like and so i wanted to explore music with my body and i wanted to explore it like that like in such a way where music couldn't be taken away regardless of any limitations i may face in my life um So my development as a musician is less about performing music and more about understanding it and feeling it, like on a really physical level. Um, And so, yeah, I may not uh, be at Carnegie Hall anytime soon, but I'll never be bored and I'll never be, you know not a musician regardless of what might happen to my body and you know this these themes come up in my work a lot is um i guess i'm always looking for ways to survive and um and so i i'm just really drawn to those narratives of uh survival and this you know People getting by. Huh, I've sort of exhausted myself. Uh, but yeah I, I, yeah, I really felt that uh, that story. And yeah.
1: Well, and you and I put together a compilation album last year called Coven, where we got together a bunch of great uh, feminine artists uh, and put together an album dedicated to Lady J. Briar Peoridge. And I think your song, What, is so poignant and telling and visceral um do you want to talk a little bit about that song sure um
2: it's probably you know that song has probably found the most success in that people who hear it really do feel it and again like that's what I'm aiming for as a musician um it, I don't know what it inspires in people, per se, but it did come from a very visceral place, and I'm glad that translates. Uh, I wrote it. Um, you know, all the lyrics are pretty straightforward. I wrote it when I was in that space of, I guess, hmm, I guess, of wringing your hands and, like, throwing your arms up and having that, you know, physical experience of being so hopeless and exhausted by by life and, and surviving it. And um, so, you know, that's an experience I know I can tap into. Um, it's good to know. I like to know my own capacities, you know, capacities for, for hurt and for, for joy. I like to, again, as an organism, like expand in all directions. So, um, I'm really glad I have that song just to, to remind me of that place and, um, it's comforting to know that people connect with it, regardless of whether or not they've been there. It, like that alone, is is provides like again a sense of belonging, belonging to something bigger.
1: And you also do therapeutic work with gardens. And
2: uh, yeah, so I um, a green, I'm a greenhouse assistant to um, a horticultural therapist. and um,
1: can you talk about a little bit about what horticultural therapy is?
2: Yeah, it's a fairly new um, line of work. It kind of is related to physical therapy or occupational therapy in that I well that and like art therapy in that, like, the goals are to sort of get people working with their bodies um, on certain tasks. Um, But it's really less goal-oriented and task-oriented than, say, physical therapy or occupational therapy. The goals are so broad. The goals are, you know, again, mostly about, like, a process of, planting something, watching it grow, watching it die, you know planting something new, creating something new. Um, so it, it provides like this like fertile ground for, for a lot of other therapeutic um, experiences. You know we the people I work with, we, we talk a lot about um, bereavement you know, people in their lives who have passed and, um, you know, we talk about their legacies as we're planting, as we're remembering them, we're kind of like, you know, sowing these seeds into the earth. Um, that's just one thing that might come up. Um, or it could be as fun and carefree as an art therapy sesh where we're just making a flower arrangement. We're going to give it to somebody and maybe, you know, that just, like, that just inspires a connection with somebody in their life, you know? So horticultural therapy has a lot of applications, and there are a lot of ways in which it can enrich somebody's life just by being something fun to do. Uh, That's really—and I work with people who are in a day program, so it, you know, breaks their routine, gets them into nature— I mean, connecting with the natural world is a big deal, um, especially in the city. So I think um, it's a field that I didn't think that I would find myself in. It's been kind of something I fell into. uh, But I've definitely fallen in love with it over the years. Um,
1: How did you fall into it?
2: Well, I've been working with people with developmental and intellectual disabilities for a couple years. I, I was really, really tired of what I was doing. I was doing like social media marketing and, um, you know, that's that process is, you know, it's very rigid and very contrived. Like you've got to like really think about, um, the emotion you're trying to inspire in somebody and you have to plan that like over the course of like a week and then you have to analyze your results and like you know it wasn't it wasn't grabbing me um maybe knowing what I know now sorry let me let the siren go by maybe knowing what I know now like I could like sink my teeth into it but at the time was just not there. So I quit like in a huff and you know, I was a coat check for a while. I I worked in an art gallery, like I worked like multiple minimum wage jobs and started entry level position just working with people with developmental disabilities to support basic goals like getting to the grocery store, like walking in the park. And, um, you know, with that experience, I was able to apply for this job. And and um, it's been as therapeutic for me as it, you know, is for anybody, like going to work, like, and knowing that I get to feed the birds and, you know, like aerate the soil and, and like take care of some basic things, like there's a real sense of like dignity that comes in like taking care of something. And I feel like this, you know, particular population, they're not always like afforded that dignity because people make these assumptions about them and always put them in the position of, of someone to, that they have to take care of. Like they receive all the care and they don't, you know, provide any care back, but to, to give them the opportunity to do that, to take care of a plant, like it's, I, I've seen it make a difference in people. And I think that they deserve that. Everyone I work with is incredibly emotionally intelligent and, um, you know, and I really value the chance to, to get to know people, A lot of the times on a nonverbal level and on, a, you know, so I do have to rely a lot on intuitions, just like I do in my, my like unconscious, like writing. And um, so, yeah, it's been a really nice place to to think and sharpen a certain skill set and pursue certain interests.
1: Well, and it's really beautiful to see this theme of, like, the therapeutic process running through all these different fields, like music, art, poetry, caregiving, uh, gardening. They're all, like, sounding so different, but really they all, like, give this really, like, creative, therapeutic process.
2: Yeah, I think what it comes down to is, um, I mean, I hope I don't offend anybody, Cause I know this is like old, like, um, terminology, but you know, if I can like reclaim the, the term like hysterical woman, I'm pretty sure that's what's going on. Like everything in my life is about soothing my body uh, because you know, my body feels on edge and I don't, and I don't think it's my fault that my body feels on edge. I think when you're living in a patriarchal society, where, you know, your body is constantly under attack and constantly under scrutiny, like, obviously, it's not going to feel good. So, like, my work is, you know, necessarily very soothing. And it's, it engages my body and it and my body is like, a medium for all these different things. And, you know, so there's a lot of talk about self care these days, I really try to to keep an ear to the ground and always look for ways that I can, you know, better take care of myself. But for me it's definitely more than epsom salts and, you know, deep breaths, like I really have to to center my body and to to think about my body as my main my main tool for accessing the world. And um, so necessarily I have to protect it and, and love it and, and take care of it. Um, and a lot of my work is is doing just that.
1: And I think there I think you're right on that there's there's actually a, like a huge movement in psychoanalysis right now. I feel about like reclaiming hysteria um, and having it not be such a punitive, term because really it just means that the body speaks that's really what it means it means we speak and express and communicate through our body and of course like you said when you're in this society it's constantly trying to pin down the body and categorize you and all these things then your body's going to act out more you know it's just it, it doesn't want to be locked down like that you don't people don't want to be locked down in those rigid structures yeah for sure is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't touch upon?
2: Um not that I can think of. I really appreciate, you know, having this platform and getting to talk about myself a little bit. Thank you for, for putting the podcast together and and yeah, generally just um giving me so many opportunities to share my work.
0: You for listening to Rendering Unconscious, you've just heard a discussion with poet and cellist Germ Lin. For more, please visit our publisher's website, that's trapart.net, that's T R A P A R T.net, the podcast's website, renderingunconscious.org, or my website, Dr. Vanessa sinclair.net. Thank you.
3: of my life